wonderful worship and uh, so thankful that you're here today. One thing I forgot to mention about the immeasurably more focus that we've got coming up is that next week I'm going to actually introduce it to you. We don't kick it off until uh, the 27th, Team Day. That's when we'll officially begin it. But, but next week in the worship time, we're going to talk about it quite a bit, what's coming and what it might look like. And so I hope that you'll be here and uh, just uh, soak it in and uh, join us on this journey that we're going to start uh, next week. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look in verses 35 through 38. And kind of a way, as a way of ramping up to all that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, I wanted to give us, by way of reminder, kind of a vision of what the church is to be. You know, sometimes we can drift a little bit. We can kind of forget what we're about. And the primary metaphor, the primary image of what the church is, is captured in the phrase, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. And you've heard that before, I'm sure. But what does that mean? And how does that relate to us as far as what we're to be individually as members of the body of Christ? And then what does that mean for us corporately as the corporate body of Christ? And essentially, Jesus came in bodily form and he did certain things and he acted certain ways and he felt certain things. And so this ideal of you and me, us being the body of Christ, means that what Jesus did, we are to do. What he saw, we are to see. What he felt, we are to feel. Just as he went certain places with his feet, we are to go. We are to be the feet of Jesus in this world that we live. As he did certain things with his hands, we are to be the hands of Jesus in this world today. We are to have the mind of Christ as the body of Christ. We're to have the heart of Christ as the body of Christ. Very literally... As Jesus was, we are to be. And so it behooves us then to come to understand who was he? What did he do in his physical body? Reminding us of who we're to be and then helping us to understand what we're to do. So in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, the writer of this gospel, and as you know, the gospels are historical narratives of Jesus' ministry, the things that he actually did while he was here on this earth. Primarily in his three-year ministry, this is the historical record. And that tax collector, Matthew, records uh, aspects of Jesus' life, the things that he did. And so in the middle of this narrative, every once in a while, the gospel writers will kind of hit the pause button. And what they'll do is they'll give a summary of some things that Jesus did. And they'll give us a picture, a big picture, kind of the big picture of what he was about. And this is one of those instances. The, the gospel writer, Matthew, is kind of pausing the button and he's saying, hey, by the way, this is what all these things meant. This is the big picture of who Jesus was and what he did. So let's read it, okay? Beginning in verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then the narrative picks up again because Matthew says this as he records the words of Jesus. Then he turned and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. 
So again, big picture. What did Jesus do in bodily form? And thereby, what are we to do and who are we to be? I want to point out four things to you today from this passage. Four things that illustrate who we're to be as the body of Christ. The first thing is found in this phrase, these two words here. They're so powerful. They're so profound. Two words are Jesus went. And we could do a whole message series on those two words. We really could. Because those two words go to the very orientation of God toward us. Think about the orientation of God. Him coming to us. Coming to our world. To wear our flesh. Jesus coming here to speak our words. To walk our earth for our sake. You see, God took the initiative. His was the inconvenience. God in eternity said, I will act. And so he sent his son. And the very orientation of the heart of God the Father was in God the Son. Because as Jesus got here, when he arrived on this planet, he was always about going. His orientation was the same as God the Father. Coming to those who needed him most. Not waiting for them to come to him. But instead going to them. Someone said that the Great Commission in today's world has changed from go and tell, as Jesus described in Matthew 28. It's changed from go and tell to come and hear. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can miss the heart of God in the midst of us being the church by losing the idea that primarily ministry is to take place outside the walls of this building. That your primary ministries are out there. We come here to be trained, to proclaim, to praise, to be equipped, but we are essentially to be going to a world that needs Jesus. And we should never forget the orientation that you and I are to have corporately as the Brook Church, but also individually. Now, this means some very powerful things. It has to do with the idea that we are to go to those that are in need. And so, look in Matthew eleven nineteen. this passage here. Jesus was describing to the disciples his reputation. You see, he had been labeled something by the religious leaders of the day. And he was talking about how he was labeled. And he said, listen, I've become known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so the religious leaders, I think that was a put down to Jesus, right? It was a derogatory phrase toward Jesus. He's become a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, I think Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. I think he was proud of that label. I don't think he considered that a put down at all. Why? Because he was achieving the very mission that God had set for him, and that is he was to go to those who needed him most. That was his orientation. George Hunter wrote a book several years ago, and I read the book, and he's got such a great quote. You ever read a quote, and you say, boy, I wish I would have said that? (laughs) Well, this is one of those quotes that I wish I would have said, but I can't plagiarize today, so I've got to give him credit for it. This is what he said. He said, the church in America has become keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of men. That we've gotten into a mode of the status quo. That we've gotten into the mode of maintenance and management of what we have rather than leveraging ourselves and spending ourselves for the sake of ministry and for the sake of the gospel. And we build little kingdoms rather than building the kingdom of God to go again to those who need the Lord the most. This is primary. 
This is a priority. There's two ideals really here with this phrase, Jesus went. The first is proximity. The other is purpose. So that phrase gives us a hint of what we're to do as the body of Christ, and that is we are not to isolate ourselves from people who need the Lord. And I know that's a temptation, isn't it? Because they don't share the same values that we have. They don't speak the same way we speak. But inherently, those are the people who need the Lord, those who are outside of faith. And the tendency for you and me is to isolate and insulate ourselves from the realities of the world in such a way that we don't make a difference in that world. We become a holy huddle, closing ourselves off. Use the hurricane phrase, hunkering down. Protecting ourselves from that big, bad world out there. And Jesus says, no, I want you to engage that world, not flee from it. Now, certainly you and I are to have strong Christian relationships. We're not talking about um, uh, relationships with those outside of faith that are at the expense of the ones that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a source of strength. We come together for encouragement. We need the family We need Christian relationships, but those Christian relationships should never be at the expense of building relationships with those outside of faith. And I need to be reminded of that. I don't know about you. Because I'm in ministry, and that's my world. And if I'm not careful, I'll close myself off to the realities of the world around me and the people who exist in my world. So proximity is really important. Are we building relationships with those outside of faith? And then secondly, purpose. Purpose. And here's the purpose. It's really twofold. It's described here in, in verse 35. It says that Jesus went. What did he go doing? Well, he went teaching through all the cities and villages and in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's first, okay? So he is sharing words of faith, good news, that's the gospel. Teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, that's what you and I to do. But then the other side of that is also as important. What else did he do? Well, he went healing every disease and sickness. Here is is the important balance for us. Healing every disease and sickness has to do with deeds of love. So if we as Christians will get proximity next to those who are outside of faith, who need the Lord, and we will be people who will share words of faith and deeds of love. Both, not either or. One is the message of the gospel. The other is the ministry of the gospel. The content of the gospel is found in the message, the words of the gospel. We're to share faith. And so this is instructive to us. The world needs more than just nice neighbors from the standpoint of Christians. The world needs the gospel of Jesus. And we can get into a mindset, well, we ought to just be kind of nice little land-loving neighbors. That's good, that's important, but not at the expense of sharing words of faith. The gospel, the message of the gospel And the opposite is also true. We should never share the words of faith, the message of the gospel, without the ministry that accompanies that gospel. We should be people who meet real needs of real people in the world. And will people have needs? 
that are relational or financial or whatever they might be, the church, as Jesus did in his body, the church is to be the body of Christ that goes about meeting those real needs for the sake of the gospel. The deeds of love are what brings credibility to the words of faith. And sometimes churches go to either one of those extremes. Sometimes they're really good at preaching, but not caring. And sometimes they're really good at caring without sharing the content of the gospel of Jesus. So both is needed. This is the body of Christ. This is what he did, and that means that's what you and I are to do. So as the body of Christ, we are to go to the people and to the places that Jesus went. Go to the hurting, accept the sinner, build relationships, authentic relationships with those outside of faith. That's how we actualize the body of Christ in today's world. How many of you have ever heard of the, the Florabama Bar? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of it. Come on, you can admit it. Okay, <laughs> it's all right. Some of you say, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, when Brandon and I, my 16-year-old, when we went on our father-son camp this summer, I got to meet a guy. He was in our group who was the pastor of a church that actually holds a worship service there in the Florabama Bar. It's a huge bar. It's like it's got a big reputation, from what I understand. It's on the state line between Florida and Alabama. Florabama. And hundreds of people visit there. Well, they have a worship service there on Sunday mornings. Six or seven hundred people come to that bar to experience worship on Sunday mornings at the Florabama bar. And the guy that was in our group is the one who teaches and preaches at it. He's invited me to come out and preach, and I, I can't wait. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been in a bar. And... Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to do that in the spring. And I thought to myself, that is it. That is the front line of ministry. That is engaging the culture, not hiding from it. Now, when we engage the culture, we've got to make sure that we're actually representing Christ in that culture, right? That's really important because we can lose our way there. I had a youth that told me, I was in student ministry many years ago, and this young man told me, well, I'm going to go to this party where all the teenagers are. It was a party where teenagers were drinking, and there was this party going on. Of course, it's illegal, right? They're not supposed to be doing this. He said, well, I'm going to go to that party because that's where Jesus would go. <laughs> and I said to him, yeah, Jesus would go to that party, but Jesus wouldn't stop being Jesus when he got to the party. <laughs> I said, if you can go to the party and you can be Jesus at the party, then yes, go. <laughs> but we're to be Jesus. We're to be the body of Christ. Jesus went, Jesus went. Isn't that beautiful? He came for us, and we are to go for others. Secondly, Jesus saw. Jesus saw. Look in verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds. Now, notice the order. I, I hope I'm not reading too much into this, but I, I love the progression here. Because the first thing Jesus went was an act, was a choice. It was, it was a, a behavior of his will, a volitional choice. He chose to go. That's what came first. We should also. As we go, we have then the capacity to see. Jesus went first, then he saw. Now, this word here, to see, this verb, is, is, is really important to understand because it wasn't just a glancing look. 
It's the Greek word horao, and it means a mental seeing, a pondering, to consider. It could be used to stare at. The ideal here is that Jesus built a mental vision of the object that he was looking at. Not just physical sight, but mental sight and emotional sight. Jesus saw, he noticed, he pondered. He, I, I imagine he, he saw them in such a way that he, he said, I wonder what it must be like to be them. Seeing what their lives were like, seeing into their lives. And folks, I think there's, there's a measure of love in just noticing people in our world. And we, we have people around us all the time, but do we notice? Can we stop and pray, God, help me to notice people? Because just maybe there's a divine opportunity there for ministry to share words of faith or deeds of love. And the people that God might be bringing our way. And so it's this idea of being so busy. Here's what Jesus saw. He saw people as people. And we see people as objects that exist in our universe of which we're the center of. And they're objects. They're not people. He saw them as people. You've got people in your everyday life that maybe God wants you to notice. Jesus went. Jesus saw. Next. So we're to see people as Jesus saw them, right? Next, Jesus loved. Here again is the progression. As Jesus chose to go, he then was able to see. And as a result of seeing them and noticing them, he loved them. He loved them. Verse 36 says, He had compassion for them. A strong word again. Not a fleeting emotion. But a strong visceral reaction. When he saw them, I imagine he felt empathy for them. And something broke on the inside. He saw them as people. And he had compassion on them. And the writer helps us understand why he had compassion on them. It says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't see them as objects. He saw them as people who essentially were lost. That's the biblical term. A sheep without a shepherd is what? A lost sheep. Makes sense. I thought about this term lost, and I thought, is that how I tend to see the world? Because sometimes I get angry at those outside of faith, and I feel like it's kind of us versus them is the mentality. And, you know, there's resentment sometimes and frustration. And I thought to myself, do I see them as lost? What does that mean? And so I just looked it up. It means unable to find one's way, not knowing one's whereabouts. And I thought to myself... For me to place expectations upon people outside of faith, to believe the things that I believe and to behave the same way that I behave, is just unrealistic. They're they're lost. The ideal there is that they just don't know. You remember what Jesus said from the cross as he looked upon the people who were killing him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
that captures the essence of this lostness that's in our world. And so as frustrated as we might grow of people, we need to remember they just don't know. And we need to feel love for them. We must not lose love in the midst of sometimes frustration. We need to have sympathy and empathy and compassion, just as Jesus had. So here it is. When we go where Jesus went, and by the way, when we don't go where Jesus wants us to go, to those places of proximity, when we don't go to those places, listen, it's a lot easier to judge, isn't it? It's easier to judge at a distance people that we don't know. I mean, when you're, far, when you're not in proximity to folks, it's easy to cast judgment upon them. But when you get up next close to people, as Jesus did, you begin to hear their story. You begin to understand what it might be like to walk in their shoes. You actually see them. The very natural expression of compassion is there. So when we go where Jesus went and we see as Jesus saw, guess what? We will love as Jesus loved. But it means going. And it means seeing. That will result in love. So here it is. Here's the body of Christ. Going is a matter of the will. Remember, it's the choice. Seeing is a matter of the mind. Pondering them. Loving is a matter of the heart. So here we have the will, we have the mind, we have the heart of Christ. In essence, simply put, we will be the body of Christ to those in our world. But the passage doesn't end there. There's one more thing. Jesus went, Jesus saw, Jesus loved. But then finally, at the end of this passage, Jesus said to pray. Jesus said to pray. Look in verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, or into his harvest field. You say, well, that's a nice little prayer. Yeah, it is, but boy, there's some assumptions behind it. The first assumption is that the harvest is ready. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is already there. We don't have to wait for the harvest. In John, it records Jesus as saying, the fields are ripe unto harvest. They're white unto harvest. They're ready. Ideal here is that we don't have to pray for the harvest. The harvest is already there. We don't have to pray for the harvest. We have to pray for laborers to go into the harvest. We have to pray for workers to go. And that in itself is pretty cool because in this passage, the other assumption here is what is the object of that prayer the object of that prayer again is not the harvest and it's not spiritually lost people they're already there they already exist but to pray for laborers and so the ideal here is that we pray really we pray for ourselves to go in fact that that verb ask is a middle voice and it could be translated, the middle voice is where um, the action of the verb is acted upon by the subject of that verb, meaning that the one who is praying, the one who is asking, is the one who should be asked about. Pray for yourselves is the idea. Ask for yourselves. And so we get on our knees and we pray for Joe. Joe, I just pray for Joe, my neighbor. He 
I hear him yelling at his wife, and I never do that. Uh, and I, 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 you know, I just I hear him cussing, and I just pray for Joe. That's fine. That's dandy. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay to pray for Joe. But the primary object of your prayer is that someone would go to Joe. And guess what? When you start praying, God, send someone to Joe. He needs someone to share. He needs someone to love him. Guess what the natural inclination is? Maybe I'm the one to go. Maybe I will be the answer to my prayers. Maybe God wants to use me to labor in the harvest field that is ripe. And so the assumption here, folks, is that in your world, today even, in your world, people will be coming and going. You'll be passing through and passing by people. Will you notice them? Will you get up next to them to know them? To see them? And maybe God will break something in you? And rather than the frustration that you feel and the anger and the isolation and the hiding from that individual, God will say, I don't want you to run away. I want you to move toward. Because that is the person. That is the person that I love. That is the person that I want to reach. That is the harvest. And the harvest is right there in front of you, Mike. Will you see it? man named George McLeod wrote a book. Um, this is in 1938. I want to read his words to you. He says this, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves on the town garbage heap. At a crossroad so cosmopolitan, they had to write his title in Hebrew and Latin and Greek. It was the kind of place where cynics talk smut, thieves curse, and soldiers gamble. Because that is where he died, and that is what he died about. That is where Christians ought to be. And where Christians ought to be about. God help us to never forget that we are to be the body of Christ. His hands, his feet, his eyes, his heart. To this world who needs him. God is still in the business of transforming men and women. You say, how do you know that? Because he did it with me years ago. He's doing it now. And he's drawing men and women in your world to himself in some way. And he wants to use you as the vessel to share words of faith and deeds of love and to represent to them, maybe even for the first time, the body of Christ. That store clerk, 
that bank teller, that person that you dropped your dry cleaning off to, that hairstylist, that guy in the office next to you. As God leads, get up next to them. See them as Jesus saw them. Love them as he loved them. Those folks, those everyday folks, those are people that God loves. And those are people that Jesus died for. May we always remember to be the body of Christ to them. Let's stand for closing prayer.